Howdy, guys. How are you going? Hi. Well, that was an introduction from Trevor, who didn't introduce, <laughs> introduce himself. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it myself. So, uh, hello. I'm Trevor Whittington, CEO of WA Farmers, and at the moment I'm sitting up at my farm at Corrigan, um, having just done a board meeting on Zoom, and uh, looking at the wind howling outside. Right. Oh, well. You know, I do think we always talk about the intros every time. Mm. It is getting hit and miss, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> well, no, apart from the, the first one, he, I think Trevor managed to recover that one. That was all right. It was good. I came back from the dead, did I? Well, it's a bit hard. You throw me in the lurch and say, sort of, introduce yourself. And going, well, just, just, just as we press record. <laughs> yeah, is, is, is this to my enemies or to my friends? But anyway, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm you know who I am. I'm yeah. WF Farmers, and I've been around the agro-political world for most of my life and uh, and uh, have a deep interest in, you know, state and federal and international politics, anything to do with uh, what you guys spend your life doing, which is trying to understand markets. Trying to understand what's happening. So and now we're going to we're going to start with trying to understand you a little bit better, Trevor, by um, oh, by okay. running well, running you through running you, you through gotta, our you, word word association. Uh, you got okay, You got to put me on the couch. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. We're, we're going to show you some ink blots. That's yep. what we should. That's what we should be doing. Is ink blots <laughs> won't translate <laughs> that, to that the. Uh, doesn't doesn't work on a podcast. But not really, no, no. So no, we're, no. we're we're going to throw six six questions or phrases to you. Uh, you give us the first thing, either a short statement or whatever. A, a one-word answer, potentially. Uh, about yeah. what, what first thing that comes to your mind, standard psychological test. We'll mm. work out whether might, you... Might, might, might be a lot of long silences. My, my brain <laughs> sort of sits there and par paralysed. But anyway, you go. Well, Matt, you go first. Live sheep, live sheep phase out. Exports. Good. Black pudding. Oh, uh, weird Scottish people. Crocs footwear. What? Say again? Rocks? Crocs footwear. footwear. Crocs, Crocs footwear. Yeah. Oh, they had their glory days and I was one of their champions. Um, and probably still got some in the cupboard to my kids' horror. Well, just, just bear in mind your kids will be liking them because the young generation are all in the Crocs now. Yeah, they are. It's, it's amazing how things go in circles. Uh, gun reform in Western Australia. Oh, big issue over here. Um, we've got an ex-SAS police uh, minister who doesn't like firearms and wants to take them off the city folk, but uh, generally leaving um, us alone. In fact, we're going to get our first rural primary producers licence. So fingers crossed farmers will be left alone, either though we still have to do Mandatory psychological testing let's every few years, which let's, let's, is let's, go, let's go a bit more depth in that in a bit. In a bit, you're gonna we're gonna come back to that one. Uh, last one, one, I think we last one, nearly last one, my last one anyway, yeah, not yeah. your last one. Uh, EID tags for sheep and lambs and goats. Accept uh, uh, it. It's here. It's a national decision. Get on with it. Um, use it to increase productivity, and God forbid, uh, help track and trace uh, foot and mouth or some other nasty when we get it. So. Um, it's the way of the world. Trade with China. Trade with China. Do you know that China has got the biggest uh, grain production in the world? You guys know that. And yep. They've got the biggest sheep numbers, 187 million. Uh, yep. Double hours. Um, we should talk about China. Um, and India's just replaced them in populations. So they're, as a future trading partner, um, if India sorts its free trade stuff out, Hopefully they'll sort of become, you know, a secondary, but uh, incredibly important, incredibly difficult. Right. Well, let's let's get into it. You're WA farmers for, for those listening. For, you know, we, Trevor. You know, a lot of people listen to this overseas. They don't know what WA is, so it's Western Australia. And, and to be honest, a lot of people in East Coast Australia probably wouldn't know what WA is <laughs> either. For, for a little while there, it was not really part of Australia. Uh, well, COVID, right? enough, we were late to come into the Federation, and the only reason we came in was because of the other siders, as we called them back then, which was the big gold rush in the 1890s, brought over 30,000 people. And then when we did the um, 
the uh, Federation <coughs> vote no one, um, it mm. only got across the line um, because of the Eastern status that came in for the gold. Otherwise, we would have, you know, dug a trench and um, uh, bring brought the uh, uh, the Gurkhas in, and uh, we'd be sitting rich with our iron ore and gas, and uh, you guys would be, you know, driving our tractors for us. Well, Andrew, Andrew's an honorary West Australian from the time he spent there when he first well, came out. I, but I, I, became, I became a citizen in Stirlingshire, yeah, two, 2014. Signed, so signed by, signed by Scomo. Oh, there you oh, go. Really? Just as a matter of clarification, though, Trevi, you did say that during Federation we called um, people in the East outsiders or whatever it was. Um, I just want to clarify, you're referring to historical context. You weren't actually around at the time of Federation, I presume. Well, I feel like I've been around. Having studied history at university, um, uh, I, I sort of live in the past, but um, find it much more comfortable. Maybe it's also because I'm getting older. But... Uh, no, no, we were. That is in the past. Uh, we did try to get out during the depression and a couple other times, but our pleas to uh, Mother England were ignored. And um, uh, and as we got richer, we got more suspicious of Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne, and uh, we remain so today. What would um, if if you did hypothetically, if they did uh, secede from from Australia, what would you think you'd call yourselves as a country? There's some can't interesting be, names. It's like can't be Terror Western West. Australia anymore. Okay? Can't be, can't no, be Western well, Australia anymore. Well, yeah, we, yeah, well, Australia's, we, Australia's a continent, so you could call it yeah. West Australia. Well, and just but then, oh, I guess like like, well, yeah, I suppose. It's like yeah, North, 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 like, like yeah. South Africa, like South Africa's part of Africa, but they're Africa, also yeah, South Africa. We could have been yeah. East Germany, West Germany, North Korea, South Korea. Um, yeah, you know, you know, it's just a long way to build a build a build a wall. Mm. Maybe, no, maybe you could just change it to other Australia, other Australia, other other Australia. Well, we'd just be the rich Australia. Just call it GS, GST Australia, <laughs> <laughs> GST free because we'd be tax free. Uh, yeah, so, right. so, but I get that would be one way. I guess you could halt the live export phase out of sheep. Would be to just yeah, secede, secede and say that's it. We're, we're, no, yeah, we're, we're no going to part of Australia. We're, we're, we're going to remain. We're going to sit. Yeah, we, we're going it alone. We're going to sell our uh, sheep to whoever we like. And you guys can, you know, over east can ban live exports. Not that you do any exports anymore. And um, we don't care. In fact, I think there's a, a political party in that in itself. Right. So you're at the forefront. You and I guess your, your, your friends at PGA will be at the forefront of the live sheep export uh, issues that are occurring at the moment. What's the, what's the general consensus? Look, there's there's about fifteen different groups involved. Um, you know, we've got the, the exporters and the the cattle guys. Um, there's quite a number of the the, the carriers, the truckies, uh, working together. And we've got the federal government running around. You know, the minister didn't front up to tell us what he's going to do. It was a bit gutless on that. Um, even though we quite like the minister, he's a nice guy, and we suspect he doesn't like the policy he's just got the job of rolling it out and um so they've appointed the panel the panel's pretty good um a bit strange they've got an rspca ex-president on it but put that aside they're doing the rounds uh and the pennies really dropped um particularly because the price of sheep has really really come off in wa and that uh, this is this is serious. You know, it's going to go if we don't do something. So we're all holding the line in saying, look, we want to talk about why it's important rather than what the government wants to talk about is when and how much they're going to throw us a few shekels to make us, you know, go quiet. And so all we can do is, you know, maintain the campaign and say, federal government, actually, if anything's gone wrong in the past, you're the regulator. You failed. So why are we wearing it? Um, because we don't have an alternative market. Um, you know, we are going to be $30 a head worse off because there's no easy way to get rid of mutton out of WA. We just don't have people to work in the abattoirs and it's, it's just a nightmare to lose it. So the stance the stance from a lot of uh, industry, not just the live expert industry, but associated industries like WA Farmers and others, you know, that are in the supply chain, They've all pretty much fallen in line behind live X, yeah, and and in saying that we don't think 
this industry should be phased out. So they're actually questioning the premise of the phase out in itself. But then they're also not really engaging in any discussion around that phase out or how it might look like. Is that right? Or are yeah, they still, yeah. are they kind of, they're refusing to engage and just saying, we don't think it's the right policy, full stop. Yeah, we're all, we're all in lockstep. We're all putting in submissions. We're coordinating submissions saying, you know, what should remain and that uh, the government's argument that uh, we've lost our social licence uh, carries no weight, even though you've got a federal <laughs> government, prime minister and a minister sitting there saying, well, you know, we, we're an evidence-based, uh, you know, uh, policy maker for agriculture, but we'll just push the evidence aside on this one. So we were over in Canberra at the Congress for National Farmers Federation with its 38 members, and they were, they were including, you know, organic farmers and uh Regen farmers and the touchy feely farmer groups, and they all came in beside uh, behind a policy unanimously supporting the trade because the the cattle exporters have worked out the activists will just get on to them as soon yep. as sheep's gone. The rice guys know that the next drought and the irrigators and the Murray Darling and the cotton guys they're next. Um, the ag chemical guys, you know, glyphosate and all the rest of it. So there is no you know, appeasing the never-ending groups who want to ban something. And if the federal government won't stand up for it, um, you know, the, where do you draw the line? Yeah. You know, so that's, that's, a, that's the ultimate fear that National Farmers Federation has worked out, and all farmers should be fearful because there's always someone who wants to shut what you do down. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I absolutely understand the, the strategy behind that, all, all falling in line and having a united front. My only concern, though, Trevor, is that if it if it continues to be pushed through, right, and and yeah. government doesn't take any real heed to what industry across the board are telling them, not just yeah. one sector, then at some stage, if it if it is going to be the outcome, does industry have to at some stage engage to try and make sure? Well, mm -hmm. if that's if that's our last option, the option to to reverse the decision isn't an option. Does industry need to then so ensure that they can they can kind of lobby for the best outcome? Yeah. So as in, look, as in, as, oh, I should say the second best outcome, which is yeah. Okay, so look, if it is going to go, you know, if it is going to go, and we're absolutely yeah. certain we've done everything we can to stop oh. that decision from happening, um, and then we concede at some stage as a, as a sector. All right. It's, it's looking like we've we've lost this battle. We need to go on to the next battle, which is <coughs> how do we how do we make sure that a phase out is not going to damage West Australian farmers and and as many people in the supply chain as possible in LiveX. Yeah, the the problem. Yeah, that that's it's a reasonable question. So it's like discussing you know when you're going to accept you're on death row and what do you want for for your final meal. <laughs> but it's, it's a good so, analogy. So let's let, let's think about it. When they do phase outs, you know, the obvious one to look at is the old growth forest industry around Australia. And um, what they've done is they, they come up with a you know a dollar figure and a, and a, and a date. And it's usually three to five years and it's 50 to $100 million. And then they, they run around, have a few community meetings and set up an independent panel and they offer a bit of compensation for a few uh, mills and um, they, they set up training in the local town so that the truck driver can learn to make cappuccinos because the tourism industry is going to take over. And um, they, they, the, the, they close their eyes to the you know, price of you know, rural housing or whatever that goes down. And that's, that's usually the formula. So if industry was to ask for something, we would ask for you know West Australia to succeed um, from the rest of Australia, and that's probably going to be rejected. Uh, we might ask for a special ag visa. Does that ring a bell? So we could actually get workers to come into our abattoirs. To be out of process, yeah. Oh, sorry, they've already rejected that um, before they even came into government. Um, uh, we would ask them to do a uh, you know. A, 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 a free trade agreement with Europe so we can get rid of our mutton. Oh, they, they're not organised enough to do that. Free trade agreements take years or or, or with India. So, <coughs> look, the federal government's not stupid. It knows the options. Uh, they got plenty of people in the Department of Agriculture and Treasury to can write up policy briefs of where to dish out, you know, 50 or $100 million to keep a couple of safe conservative seats, you know, Liberal and Jur uh, Jurak and O'Connor, 
happy, which they're not going to win anyway because they're solid Liberal seats. I don't think they care. Um, so you can play the game or you can make it as uncomfortable and as embarrassing as possible. And one of the things we've done is invited the Prime Minister um, and the um, Ag Minister, Murray Watt, across to WA to explain what social licence means and why we've lost it. We need to understand what we've done wrong so that we don't lose cattle. So this is as much an exercise as to embarrass the government to realise they've really made a mistake and to go slow because, you know, do, do you think, fix do, everything. Do you think that's the... Because that's what I thought is probably the one of the, the get-out-of-jail clauses for the government if they want to. It's basically, you know, put a time frame 2030 for the closure. Which yeah. Probably, which, which probably that's does right. give long enough for a transition. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's or, exactly or, or, long, or long enough for the LNP to get back in and change yeah. the system. Yeah, yeah. So look, <clears throat> the longer the better, because you know, you know, you know, politics things change overnight in politics. Um, uh, you'll have the activist groups and you know the RSPCA, the good old conservative RSPCA, now joining the animal rights activist groups, along with all the other lunatic groups out there. Um, um, We've had some interesting people in, in, in the Liberal backbench who are quietly saying, I'll let it go, um, would be wanting it to go before not the next election is two years away, one after that's you know, three, so five years within that time frame. Our argument would be, well, that's completely unreal. You know, if people, you know, built, um, you know, to, to, for them to depreciate uh, feedlots or... Um, uh, um, you know, have geared up for the live export trade. You need longer than five years, so we'd want, you know, we're not putting dates on it, but 10, 10 would be uh, a timeline for, you know, it's how many colours and ear tags and, and depreciation. And, uh, but the, the, the problem is, is as soon as you put a date on it, and they start walk, walking you back from it. So we're not putting a date on it because we don't believe the trade should go. And there's, I think the government's actually worked out, you know, what's the upside of losing a trade that generates, that brings in a few hundred million dollars of export earnings because that's pretty hard to replace in this day and age unless you're going to make cappuccinos. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe that's, it, that, that's, that could be like a skills transfer, you know, baristas from Melbourne for, yeah. for stock agents. And Very you, hard to get those baristas in Melbourne because I tell you what, uh, there's plenty of jobs uh, uh, sitting on tractors and sprayers across the wheat belt here as people are screaming out for labour. And um, if we can't get them to get pretty well paid jobs uh, sitting on a nice big John Deere, um, it's pretty hard, to, even harder to get them to sit in an abattoir to, you know, years and off. Yeah, but we, but we get those baristas over to Perth and then teach people in Perth how to make decent coffee. <laughs> the coffee might come a bit cheaper. Exactly. Uh, could be the bonus. Anyway. It is a fair point, though, that, that I mean, a lot of the, you know, discussion around um, bringing back to, you know, domestic processing instead of live X and how it will employ all these local people. It's not It's not going to employ local people. It's going well, to employ... Well, 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 there are no local people. <laughs> there is. Yeah, well, yeah. We, I think last year our mining sector soaked up 20 30,000 people. We've only got 30,000 people working in agriculture in WA. You know, it's only, it's only 5,000 farms here. So, what happens is if you're working in an abattoir or if you're a third year mechanic in a dealership out at you know, Narrabeen or Meriden or somewhere, um, someone comes through town and goes uh, talking to people in the pub or whatever, offering them jobs on the mines. So, you know, here's a here's 120 grand week on, week off. And your week off, you can be in Bali or sitting at the beach or Margaret River surfing. Why would you want to sit in, uh, you know, a lovely country town like Katanning, um, working, um, earning less money in an abattoir? You know, the mining sector is so big here, mm. it just soaks up anyone who can pass a drug and alcohol test. So at that, that and just you can't get away from that. So if people come over here and they think, well, it's easier to get housing in Perth because housing is an issue in country towns because no one build new houses, um, and um, just go out to the airport, put on that fluoro, get on that plane, and you're in a, you're you're a high income earner. Mm. 
so that's the thing. Like, like it is multifaceted. You know, like they're again, like the, the, the Ag visa is a requirement really for getting rid of live export. Yeah, but the, the part of the Ag visas, well, what the government, if we could bring in Filipinos, um, which you know, three million of them work overseas and they're skilled and they speak English. But that was the previous governments. This mob's focused on the Pacific. The problem with the Pacific is it's close to you guys over east. Um, they tend to come in and work on the east coast because there's a lot more jobs. They've got a network. Horticulture. It's hard to bring, yeah, that's right. And it's hard to bring in. They te- uh, you know, it's another step to come another three three thousand three and a half thousand kilometers across to WA. It's more expensive to come home. We're very seasonal with our with our sheep too, you know, it's on for young and old for spring for lambs and then it really dies off. We don't have a domestic market. There's only, you know, two and a half million of us. Um, it's expensive to ship them out. We're almost like Tasmania. Maybe the federal government should give us a $30 a head subsidy for the transport costs of, you know, shipping sheep back east. But we, we it's a tyranny of distance mm. and when you're moving bulk grain or bulk iron ore, it's not a big deal. But when you're, you're having to air freight out, um, you know, lamb, uh, it's expensive to get it to the Middle East. You've got a limited number of planes. None of this can be replaced. You know, we, we are two bucks a kilo, 30, 40, $50 a head, $30 a head down. That's gone. So it means more John Deere's, um, bigger tractors, um, less farmers. A quick question. What you for said. You. A quick question for what? you. Yeah. How? Like, one of the one of the arguments is that the industry is already dead. Yeah. And that the num- numbers have declined. But so how much? I know. I know. That there's a lot in the industries now blaming the current government for the situation. Mm. But how much responsibility goes to the previous government for introducing the moratorium? No, I don't think it's made a lot of difference. Let's go back a little bit. You know, back in the 80s when we're peaking at Australia-wide, we had 174 million sheep and Western Australia had, I don't know, 60 or 70 million, uh, 60 million, I think. And um, and then you lose the wool reserve price scheme, which was, um, you know, we're buying our own wool. It's madness. Um, and, and it readjusted. We got better grain production, um, better chemicals, um, and so uh, we swapped from 50-50 grains to uh, livestock to 80-20. And so naturally our sheep numbers have gone down and you know, we're down at 12 or 13 million now. It's quite sustainable in the higher rainfall zones. You've got a generation don't want to stand around sheep yards because the technology hasn't changed. And you've got to be here all year, checking sheep all summer. You can't go skiing in, you know, Japan. So there's that cultural change, the lack of labour, the mining industry's gone berserk. And mm. so it's rebalanced. We 2011 Gillard, that lunatic decision on live exports, resulted in SCAS coming in. So we track and trace all the animals. So the Saudis said, we, we don't want you, a bar of you coming telling us how to look after animals. So um, we lost that market. So at the glory days, we're doing 7 million sheep back in the 70s and 80s, and that sort of stabilised around 2.5 million, 2 million, uh, without the Saudis, the biggest market of all. And then it's, uh, you know, we had some incidents, blame the feds again, because the Department of Agriculture federally is responsible for regulating. Um, We lost the summer trade. It has stabilised, but you've got to remember, there's, you know, the price of grain, as you guys well know, has just driven because there's been more money in grain production than sheep for the last 30 years. Was people it, out of the industry. That's the big change. Do you think another, another thing moving people from sheep to cropping, obviously money is one thing, but do you think lifestyle plays a bit of that as well? Huge, uh, huge. Um, yeah. You know, when you can go to 60, 80, 90, now 100-foot seating bars, 750 horsepower tractors, it's pretty – and it drives itself. You can – you just don't need all the people. You can get away in summer. Um, you, know, uh, you know, interest rates have been low. Um, you can buy big equipment. Um, and when you can make a couple of hundred bucks uh, a hectare versus 100 bucks a hectare – uh, the guy who was buying more farms and farm sizes have tripled in the last 30 years. Uh, the person who's been buying farms, the person who's been growing grain, 
And so you've been left behind if you're, uh, you know, a full-time sheep producer. It depends where you are, the sort yeah, of drier, yeah. northeastern, high rainfall, et cetera. But canola has been a game changer. So, But it has stabilised now. And those who are in stock are cranking, have cranked up numbers. There's some big sheep producers. Um, live exports will lose live exports. It will just take that stability away. And um, uh, we're down to grains. And, and, and you guys have been around the markets, global markets. Markets can be oversupplied. Things mm. can turn quickly. And the, no, di- yeah, the, the diverse, the diverse operator that has you know multiple avenues is going to. There was. I remember going to a presentation a few years ago from ORM, who are like a a benchmarker similar to what Fermanco does on the west coast, mm-hmm. and they they did sort of some analysis which showed that the grains makes more money in the good years, mm. but it makes less money in the bad years. But so it's very up and down, very variable, but sheep. Don't make as much money, but it's a consistent amount of money. Drought or, you know, deluge. It doesn't seem to matter. They just make a sort of a typical sort of um, much less just, much less volatile. So in a, oh, in, a, in a in a kind of enterprise mix that's a combined kind like, of thing with sheep, like, sheep like, and grain. It's, it's a, like pigs, it, just consistent yeah. income. The other part of the equation is as we go into this strange, mad world of you know carbon emissions reductions, um, you take livestock out of the equation um, and you've you've got one less juggle in terms of building soil carbon by using legumes, and that's a great unknown. Here's another one. The Europeans, uh, we sign up to too many of these train, these sustainability goals and we, we can't use some of the new ag chemicals. We lose some of the fungicides. <clears throat> God for... God for so help us we lose glyphosate or paraquat, then uh, th- those white fluffy things that walk around paddocks are eating grasses are becoming incredibly important for weed control. And so we're, we're heading into great unknowns with the carbon and the, the chemicals changes and the pressures that are going to be on us. And, and to say that in, in terms of that livestock space, I know that obviously MLA have got their carbon neutral by 2030 targets for both sheep and cattle but if you look at the sheep and goat sector already it's pretty carbon neutral um as it stands now right obviously the cattle sector's got a bit to go in terms of getting down to that but they're on the way well on the way um so you've already got a red meat sector in sheep and goats that is that is doing the right thing in terms of um not adding extra carbon into the environment yeah but that's easy to say when you just look at the say the pastoral guys but if you're running a fairly intensive operation a couple of thousand hectares, and you're really loading up ten sheep per hectare. Uh, that you know, at an enterprise level, that changes. And one of the things that worries me about the whole carbon stuff is we keep talking industry wide rather than the impact on uh, individual down to individual enterprises, feedlots, whatever. Um, and also, wonder, wonder which market is actually going to pay us for 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 you know being carbon neutral. Um, that's a whole new discussion in itself, I suppose. So let's let's move on from sheep. Uh, actually, let's, let's stay on sheep. <laughs> what EID tags? Well, I might as well just stay on it whilst we're whilst we're, EID tags. What's your, what's your view on the rollout of EID tags? Well, you, you trigger and, 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 what, and what's the growers' view of it? Oh, most most. Uh, well, we're not getting we're getting some pushback from members who can't understand it. Why? Um, mind you, they'll be the first scream of the house down when a foot and mouth outbreak comes and someone goes to their property going, well, um, you know, we couldn't get on top of it within, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours. So it's gone from, you know, three to 30 to 300 properties and you're caught in it. But if we had proper AIT, AID tags, um, maybe we could have saved a day. Um, and that's what you that's what it's about. It's about saving one day, two days, and reducing that exponential expansion or properties caught up in it and and speeding up when we can return to market from you know years to to, to months. Um, is it going to cost? Yes, is it annoying because you're going to put it in um, lambs 
and you know, 10 weeks later, the lamb's uh, getting its you know, head chopped off. Uh, doesn't make sense. No. But do sheep escape the system? Yes. Have West Australia got the best system, mob-based system? Yes. The Eastern states, no. Why don't they just, Eastern states follow us? Look, it's a compromise, but, you know, it's a, it's it's worth worth it. And if you're any good as an operator, you'll use the tags to, to get your money back by increasing your productivity. But, but, I, can, but I, can, I, can, back. I can see the frustration but, if you've got the government man, yeah. government mandating the end of live sheep export at the same time as which is going, which we all know that is going to cause pricing impacts. It already is, if mm-hmm. the moratorium mm-hmm. causes pricing impacts. At the same time, they're advocating or forcing EID tags, which are an extra cost. At the same time, as removing what is effectively a profit, profitable. But to the credit, the state and federal government has put put up some money for the transition. Um, but you know, look, I, I seriously worry about foot and mouth, um, mm. and 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 looking at the modelling of, you know, the risk of getting it. We're probably going to get it at some stage, and how quickly you can get on top of it. Uh, we will kick ourselves if we, you know, if if we don't do what we can do because we are relying on the federal government to kick in and pay a lot of the compensation that that is on the table, even though it's not a not the world's best compensation scheme, but it is there. So it's a bit of a two-way street. Um, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm reluctant to mix the two issues together. What about, what about trade? That we, we saw, like, Western Australia was probably the worst affected by the Chinese barley tariff, because yeah. just by virtue of the fact that you're the biggest exporter, especially of malt, yeah. and, and feed barley as well. What's what's the views? What's the views around the traps with uh, with farmers in, in view of in light of Chinese trade, but also the reopening? Yeah, fingers crossed that uh, it comes through over time, and everyone goes. It's like going quiet and hoping uh, the federal government will let live exports remain. The, the smart money when the barley trade was shut down was go quiet. We can keep it off the the political pages so that the Chinese aren't feeling, we're not squealing like stuck pigs. Um, same thing happened with rock lobs. The same thing happened with wine. The industry associations told the, the maddies, uh, the, the vocal uh, farmers, fishers, uh, whatever, uh, wine producers, stay out of the media because you're not helping it. They want to see you jumping up and down. Uh, I think that strategy has worked. Hopefully the trade will reboot, but geopolitics, you're dealing with a autocratic dictatorship um, with relatively minor is that, trades. Is that, is that, is that China or, oh, no, or, or, or Australia? China, China. <laughs> sorry, that's Canberra. Canberra. Um, <laughs> I get them mixed up at times, but I start to see. Um, uh, look, that, that, you've got to deal with political reality. Um, there are relatively small trades. Uh, that you notice they're not shutting off the iron ore trade. Right? Yeah. Um, they, they need us for that. Um, we're, we're hooked on needing the money because we keep racking up the debt. So um, that's going to increase again in the upcoming federal budget, I see. Um, so, look, uh, any farmer who doesn't have in their business case the fact that uh, trade can be shut off either by an exporting nation or importing nation like China, uh, the middle of uh, the... the, the the, um, the Europeans, because they're just being bloody-minded uh, with ag chemicals, or our own silly government, uh, stupid government, who wants to buy love with activists in the inner city, um, you know, voters, then... I, reckon, um, I, I actually genuinely think the average inner city person doesn't give a monkeys. They don't. They don't. They, they is, are, it, is it time, though? Look, 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 look at that CO2 thing with the pigs two weeks ago, yeah? Mm-hmm. Or three weeks ago, have we heard anything more about that? No, no, no one to give some monkeys apart from the because la- bacon's too tasty. Bacon's too tasty, but <laughs> but 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 in all seriousness, yeah, like the only people that really care are the loud voices, and the problem is those loud voices are listened to by Department of Ag and the regulators. What what you're saying about a lot of these kind of, I guess for want of a better description, poor political decisions, whether they're ones that are made over in China or ones that are made more domestically. They should, from... be, based, they should be based on data. 
Yeah, but those political parties, like we saw in the Netherlands and I think Ireland, the Netherlands was the most, I think, recent one where there was that shock shock turnaround. You had the agricultural party that ended up getting into power. Is it, is it time for Trevor Worthington to step aside from WA Farmers and become you know, a leader of a new farm-based political party? Yeah, there wouldn't be very many um, followers because uh, if, you, if you look at the size of agriculture in um uh, the Netherlands, um, well, they're the biggest exporter of um, um, agricultural Hortico- product, Hort- you know, value-added product around the world. Uh, it is it is like their our iron ore and petroleum industry. It's so big that they could raise a political party off the back of it. But let's face it, what's their um, 80,000 um, uh, farm enterprises in Australia uh, where less than 2% of the uh, economy, yeah. 11 or 12 million people work in Australia and 300,000 work in ag. Um, the National Party's been in decline, states and federally. Um, West Australia's about to be, you know, just about disappear. Uh, the glory days of agri-politics are behind us, I think. And uh, So, that's, so, that's, well, a, so well, that's a no? That's a no, Trevor, to starting your own party? Uh, well, well so I'm seriously thinking about the succession party. So, no, I'm not ruling. As they say, Well, you could do, Trevor, right? Here, here's the strategic mind in me, yeah? Like we said, there's more inner city people, yeah? Yeah. So what you do is you set up a political party, the Trevor's Animal Rights Party, yeah? Yeah. And then you work on a manifesto of, I've came from the industry, I understand all the bad things about the mm-hmm. industry, and we're going to fix it. And then you just do a bit of an about turn when you get in. Oh, yeah. Look, the, 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 <laughs> what's there only four countries in the world with powerful upper houses or senates, and you know, where you can actually end up there, one of what's it, 76 M- MPs, and as a senator and be the Jackie Lambie or whatever, uh, the POCOP, and um, sit there and change the course of Australia. You know, it's an extraordinary, powerful position. Um, yeah, that's where you want to be if you're going to be in politics. Be in the Senate, you know, by you know, whatever means you get there, and then sit there and renege, and um, you know, hold everyone over a barrel. Which is why I've got a problem with you know upper houses. I, I it was all right when they were run by the uh, the landed classes, but that's long gone. So now you might as well do a New Zealand or a Queensland and just abolish the things. And Queensland paid all their MPs to um, vote to shut down back in the 30s. Um, and then it's winner take all. So because what happens is what one government usually doesn't overturn the decisions of the next government in our modern era. So if we lose live exports, um, I, I wonder whether the Conservative parties would have the political courage to actually reboot it. But the, the uh, other that, thing, the industry would be finished anyway. So... So re- well, re- I wouldn't. Re- you, you lose. You lose the intellectual knowledge, the market access, the the shipping, the the skill set, and it's and and who's going to come rushing back in, knowing that it could be turned over again in three or four years? It's very hard to reboot lost industries. And you show me a government who keeps saying they can they grow employment, they grow they don't grow anything, they don't employ anyone other than you know bureaucrats in Canberra. Um. Um. It's it's very hard to find an alternative. You know? How much has agriculture grown? It's still staggering around at two percent of the Australian economy. We're not that important, unfortunately. We're going to be worth we're going to be worth a hundred billion dollars by twenty thirty. Well, that's Sh- seven. Shortly. Yeah, except inflation's running at seven and a half percent. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> spare me. That's maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's an article for next week, Matt. What's that in terms of the hundred billion target now? Because when we did the numbers yeah. when it was first announced, well, we, we did and, 2016. Matt and I did it, and we, yeah. we got to 92 percent based on so, the previous five years. 92, 92, yeah, and that was that was off a point a two percent inflation, and yeah. that was when inflation was running at you know below one percent. Um, so we thought, well, <laughs> let's look at the long term inflationary average over the last decade was about two percent or, or thereabouts. Yeah. Applied a two percent kind of valuation, and it came. I think the current level that they were at was like sixty-six billion at the time. And so, if you index that up by a two percent inflation, you got to I think it was something like ninety something or eighty-seven. So it was nearly it was nearly all the way to hundred just on inflation. And now inflation's at seven percent. It's probably going to be at hundred if we redid the numbers. Probably hundred. We're well. The only thing is. 
It's the only thing that's going to save Australia from is debt. It's you know, you know um, inflating our way out of the uh, uh, of the of the problem. As long as we keep, um, you know, they keep borrowing Australian dollars, not US dollars. But look, here's here's another thing. Something you guys could do is we're going to bring in six hundred and fifty or seven hundred thousand people over two years. So how much more domestic food are we going to consume? Um, and what's that mean for export markets? Because uh, we're eating more and more of what we produce. Now, we've we've done that one years yeah. ago. There you go. We, uh, we, we spoke about how, you know, more and more so. Like effectively at the moment, from the grains industry, Australia-wide, the biggest customer is Australia for grains. If, right. if, 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 if Australia was a... An export destination would be the biggest. And, look, and the biggest customers still for red meat, whether it's beef or lamb or sheep, or maybe not mutton, but if you look at the broader overall sheep market, um, domestic consumption versus and, and export. That, and, and that will increase massively. Um, We're still the biggest customer in Australia as well for those. Just And, just and, and so so if you look at that sort of increase in demand for, for, for that meat, for just from feedlotting itself, you know, you're talking 12 million tonnes. Give or take, and that explains why it's our biggest manufacturing industry. You know, one, hmm. one once upon a time it was Holdens and Fords, and now it's um, you know, chops and uh, and sausages. We've spoken a bit already now about a couple of, I guess, government-based decisions that have been problematic in your view. One we we started out with at the outset with the six cents was the gun reform one. Oh, I mean, yeah. You nearly went, you nearly went straight into a five-minute um, you know, discussion about it, and, and and it sounded interesting, but what you were saying there is that the, the intention in WA is that, that you're going to have an ag-based uh, firearms uh, application that can go through so that that would have less less kind of barriers around it. What, what's the go with that one? You, you started telling yeah. us that we, we cut you off early. Yeah, you're probably I was going to my national, you know, what was it, NFF, National Firearms you know, Mob in America, that mad mob over there who... NRA, 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 yeah. What are they, the biggest political, um, most powerful lobby group in America? Um, God help them. Uh, look, uh, as I said, ex-SAS, uh, Minister Police, Papali, a nice guy, got a bee in his bonnet, um, you know, wants to get rid of 280,000 guns, 80,000 firearm owners, West Australia, uh, wants to, doesn't see why everyone, all these people have got guns. A hot map and a Perth, and they're all over Perth. Um, but you know, you got a lot of recreational and, and um, sporting shooters who, who who like their firearms. Um, and so his solution we need to rewrite and update the 50 year old firearms act anyway, that's no problem. We needed a better database management system to track and trace, that's fine. Um, so rewriting the firearms act was was neither here nor there as far as we were concerned. Then they came out and said, oh, we're going to have to have a mental health check. And we're going, okay, well, that's brilliant. So how's that work if you're in the, you know, if you, you, know, you already got your fire-ups? Or every every few years you'll have to go back. So I wrote an article in the Farm Weekly going sort of, so you have to go to see a psychologist to, or a shrink every three years and pay a couple of hundred dollars on top of your firearms licences. Um, but if you're in a drought, and you've been shooting sheep, and you go to the shrink, and she's you know, culturally not from, you know, she's from the Eastern States or overseas, and she says, well, what are you here for? I need to have my assessment whether I should have my firearms licence. They said, well, do you ever feel, you know, frustrated and angry? And you go, well, yes, because we've lost live exports. So, okay. Do you ever get frustrated with, mm. with animals? Yes, because I've had to load my last sheep onto the truck, and, you know, it was hot and they weren't lighting well. Do you get frustrated with family? Well, yes, because my my, my, my wife wouldn't help because she loved the sheep and didn't want to come up there, so she, I was stuck there by myself. And and the end of it, she goes, cross, cross, cross. Well, you shouldn't keep your firearms licence. So we're going to the minister. How's that work? Oh, no, well, there'll be exceptions. Except, well, what about the serial killer who's you know, very good at lying. You go, how are you going to pick him up or someone who's depressed? Because what you're trying to do is catch someone who shouldn't have a firearms licence when they're depressed. Well, that could happen overnight if it doesn't rain. Um, or, you know, China shuts the you know the, the barley trade again. I said, this is not going to solve the problem which you've got, which is 
people shooting people. And so how, how, how many how many gun crimes? I know this is if you look at the UK. The UK has pretty much got rid of guns largely, unless you're a farmer, yeah. effectively. Yeah. Uh, like sports, recreational stuff is pretty much impossible. Um, but there's still a lot of gun crime in the UK, especially probably the last f- ten years. More so, guns coming across from Europe. Yeah. But none of those crimes really occur with legally obtained weapons. Like that would yeah, be, be, be the same in Australia, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, look, yeah it would be. You know, it's supposed to be twenty thousand illegal guns in WA. Um, the, the, the problem is, you get the occasional family shooting. Um, and people with mental health problems. So the only way to address that is you've got to take guns off everyone. And so essentially what they're trying to do, I suspect, is price and make it more difficult to actually get guns. The other thing is um, if you want certain calibre firearms, you need to link it to a rural property, and some of those properties have been sold two or three times or the names are linked to properties from 50 years ago. They're going to tidy all that up. I don't have a problem with that. Um, moving guns around between properties, a lot of people got two or three properties, um, is a bit problematic under the current rules. You need to keep your receipt with a piece of paper and a plastic card. That'll all get tidied up. Look, I'm not overly concerned with it. Um, they've culled out, you can't have a 50 cal. Um, they've cut out the very big caliber guns, so I'm not overly worried about that. What, what, um, what? Out of curiosity, I'm not a, I'm not a massive gun I don't, I've, I've been to the shooting range a few times. I've been shooting kangaroos and rabbits in Western Australia, actually. But why would you need a fifty cal? Yeah, well, yeah, well we don't. We don't. My members are not you, ringing you, me up saying you, I we, need the fifty cal to blow away the rabbit from two kilometres away. Well, you, you, <laughs> so, you'd, you'd, you'd shoot a cow with that, and it would be nothing left. That's right. So, so look, eventually, you know, but. I suspect 50 cows aren't going to, uh, you know, a pistol or a shotgun is going to be, do a lot more damage in the hands of a lunatic than a 50 cow. But um, so some of the stuff's a bit strange, but that's fine. What are we worried about? Just making sure it's not the, the new regulations are not clunky. It's you can have your ID on your phone, as we've all got as a result of COVID, sort of carrying around you know, receipts from. Um, we can move firearms around. Um, we're still in the throes of dealing with it. But just the mental health stuff is a bit s- stupid because no problem doing a mental health check when you first go and get one. Um, but, you know, to go back every three years, uh, anyone's half good will get through it. The chances of picking up someone is pretty low. We suggested that it change the culture and encourage people to... Uh, be much more firearms aware and mental health aware if they see someone who's struggling to actually, you know, have have the conversation and, you know, pass that information on. So through GPs, but no one's going to say anything now because you, you might lose your guns, which you might need to put down livestock. And then you're going to have to go and ask the neighbours or then they'll ask why you don't have your own firearms. No, this is. But but now it hasn't but now, been thought through. But now they're not they're not requiring that mental health check for existing owners, are they? Yes, they are. Yeah. Oh, they are. They are. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought. They, yeah. No. Nah, but nah, nah. nah. existing existing farmers though. No, nah, yeah, existing. If you're now they're saying you can do your mental health check via Zoom, mm. and we're doing Zoom, and uh, my video is not working. So how do you know you're talking to me? You could be talking to uh, a very clever impersonator. Mm. And, but the thing, the thing is, with the agricultural specific gun license, will be that some of those requirements you're trying to reduce the the onus of those requirements. So right, so that it'll be a, a little bit of an easier easier process for an agricultural producer rather than the average urban gun owner. Yeah, that's right. It'll uh, just be. But the biggest issue is again transporting firearms across properties, and also whether you can get an employee to be able to use a firearm at relatively short notice. So, you know, you're going away for the weekend, you've got your employee and he hasn't got a firearm license, you've got your own. So that stuff's got to be worked through. Um, people got property spread over 100 Ks, you know, you can't find labour, you've got employee, how do, you, how do you juggle that? So we've got a sort of six-month process we're going to work through. But look, 
I mean, I've, 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 I've got a, fine. I've got a funny story about somebody getting their license actually recently. Uh, a mate of ours, Matt, Matt mm-hmm. uh, went to get his license like redone. Like they do like a, I don't know, something he had to do with his license, with his gun license. So he went in to get it done uh, with a group sort of session. Ended up getting COVID. So <laughs> how does he take a week off work? Anyway, that's yeah. completely, completely irrelevant. But but they are but that makes sense to make it easier for agricultural workers because they're pretty much the only people that are insecure well, look, really need we, like, we, for, for, for for work related purposes, not regular. Yeah, that's it. We we give people dangerous tasks to do. They're handling ag chemicals, we're handling you know forklifts and tractors and all the rest of it. You know, you've already got a high level of you know, responsibility being on one of these properties. So. Um, that stuff's clunky with the new Oc Health industrial safety laws that have been rolled out across Australia, certainly here in West Australia, you know, ten mm. million dollar fines and twenty years in jail. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. We had we had um, we had uh, what's his name on? Uh Phil the, Philip yeah, Phil Phil Brenner. Brenner. Yeah. Phil oh, Brenner yeah. Oh, to talk about that yeah. last when yeah. it first came out. That was a that scared me when I came out. Well, that, that's that's uh, and when, the next one that's coming is the new heritage law starts first July, which if any fence line, grade any road, put a new sheep yards up, you'll need to bring out the local um, indigenous mob to actually get a heritage survey to see whether it's special, um, and that'll probably cost five thousand dollars. And that's coming to Western, any property over a thousand square meters in Western Australia. So that's pretty in, much uh, three months. Any house as well. No, any house, but any house outside of PATH. Uh, yeah, any, any block to do any ground disturbance over a thousand square meters. So you're leveling a block of, you know, you're doing a property development. Yeah, again, just moving a fence line. And that, um, that's only Western Australia. That's Western Australian heritage laws. You know, it's like, you know, you can't dig up old graveyards and, um, you know, churches. It's being extended. It already was there. And more legislation when this Labor government's updated, except the unforeseen consequences are unreal. So you can't, you can do normal farming practices down to half a metre. But if you're deep ripping at 600, what do you do? You've got to get a heritage server? So that, but that's, um, that's, that's a West Australian specific um, introduction to a law there. So I'm just wondering then, Trevor, does that mean that if you were to secede, not all the laws would still be? you know kind of what you'd like oh, well 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 we unfortunately we keep our state laws um but then because i would have also abolished the upper house and um, reform the electoral system to give weighted voting back to country areas um most of those problems would be fi- fixed in my first term a benevolent dictatorship you've got my vote <laughs> you've got my vote i'm well, i'm taking um i'm i'm watching um uh, Xi Jinping and, and Putin for for taking taking notes and how to how to get things done. Back to back to more less less political stuff. What's the uh, we're in, we're in seating just now. What's the how's the break over there? Yeah, great. Uh, it's looking good. Well, isn't it? For most of uh, the week, Bill, um, we got uh, um, you know up to hundred mils across a fair swag of it. And uh, people got a couple of good knocks in. Some are getting triple knocks down. Um, so good early weed uh, control. And now uh, most uh, most of the canola is already in. And uh, people have started on cereals. A bit dry. I was driving down through Katanning and the, uh, so, the, yeah. the sheep belt. And it's a bit dry <clears throat> down there. They won't get much feed. So the poor buggers, are, they're sweating it. That's all right. That doesn't matter because no, they're, 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 those sheep can go on a live export boat. That's that's right. <laughs> Last boat out. <laughs> what's uh, uh, what's the uh, like? You seen all the canolas in last couple of years? We have seen issues with supply of canola seed. Uh, is is that not, been an not issue so this year? Bad. Yeah, we're we're all struggling to get it um, up until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I, I managed to scrape it to get. My, stuff I needed, and then the phone rang off the hook saying, oh, we've got more if you want more. So it seemed to have come through, but there's certainly been a problem with Eastern States, Roundup Ready, uh, TT Canola. Um, they just haven't been able to produce enough of it. Yeah. Um, um, I haven't heard. There may be, but I certainly got mine and I got offered more at short notice just two days ago. Hmm. 
So that's good. How much canola will go on the ground will be interesting. Um, over to you guys. Are we going to see $1,000 a ton again? <laughs> Look, I think I, I was really concerned the last two years when everyone was saying, like, we look at markets every day, every every minute of every day, yeah? Apart from when we're doing podcasts and we have a break. Mm-hmm. But, and then we talk about markets. And then we talk about markets. But yeah, there, there was this issue I saw, and I, I see all the time, especially in every, every commodity, not just agriculture, but when we hit, like, really high times, everyone thinks it's going to last forever. Like, the number of people that said, oh, you know, the new normal. It's a new norm. A thousand dollars a ton is a new norm, and we're saying, nah, A big part of this driving like canola up to a thousand dollars a ton was the drought in in Canada. That's over, and so their volumes mm-hmm. are going to be up, and and we'll, and that's why we sort of expected it to be in the sixties rather than the ones. And mm-hmm. and and bearing in mind the reality is that those numbers we had at a thousand dollars a ton. Uh, were still heavily discounted versus the rest of the world. So we had we had prices that you know historically we'd be a little bit of a discount to French canola or French mm. rapeseed. However, for the best part of the last two years, we've been massively discounted, and that's maintained itself. Uh, and Canada's been a huge, usually a premium uh, discount to us. Sorry, and they've been a huge premium to us uh, for most of the past two years. And Look, that's not surprising because Canada had a shit crop. And so, but I do think that when we see $1,000 a ton and, and that sort of consistency of, of those higher numbers will be when Canada grows its domestic process. Because much like we had in that conversation earlier about domestic, markets, domestic yeah. markets in Australia, Canada is massively increasing its domestic crush, which means that it will not take a particularly big drought to see them having huge prices. And in my view, we, we did export a ship to Canada this year or in the last two years. I reckon that won't be an irregular occurrence when mm. uh, when their domestic crush goes to 15 million plus. Which, which you, know, is- you, know, you know the takeaway from of this is for the, the, the spread of the domestic and international prices the same with the live exports. What's our biggest issue? It's it's the ability to for um, box meat is to find planes to put it on. Um, for canola and wheat out of particularly Western Australia, as the states, it's to, get it on a boat. The prices are high to get it on a boat. And if you've seen it, the one thing that I and all guys have learned is when the price is up, you got to be able to move it. And so they've mm. invested massively in growing. What's we used to export 30 million tons 30 years ago of of um, iron ore, and now it's uh, 600, 700 million tons. And they just keep pouring the money into the rail and the port out of Port Hedland and Carrara. Well, it's basically, it's, it's using the good years to pay for the that, that, that's right. in the future. Yeah. That's right. So we've we've got the capacity to, you know, most farms crop a lot, but we haven't, you know, we have failed to invest uh, when interest rates were low and there was spare labour around in the rail and the and the port and the loading facilities. And I see the H takes some criticism in a previous board member. They're, 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 getting on, they're, getting on, they're getting on top of it now, though, Trevor, apparently. Well, so. well here's, here's the plan. So the plan goes out over eight years. But, you know, farmers used to, they're own worst enemies. They used to keep screaming, our farmers, WA, screaming at CBH, going, keep your costs down. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. And so if we're going to head towards a 30 million crop, not a crop, you know that's to be able to move it over twelve months. So maybe we should be able to move a thirty million dollar, thirty sorry million ton crop over six months. That's what we need to be. And I'm not. I'm not seeing those sorts of discussions. Well, and, and this is. I, I look genuinely. I think it's interesting when we go to Western. We we always come to your conference. Yeah. Every year, Trevor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, we, if we're lucky, if we're lucky if, enough if, to get an invite. If we're lucky to get an invite, you're, you're, you're the, usually the headline act. That's what everyone yeah. stays for. We put you on, put you on, on last today to make sure they stay. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but one of one of the things is that like CBH, like I, I I wasn't a fan of CBH when I was in Western Australia because I worked for a competitor. They were a competitor. There's an obvious reason why. And, and, and how do you compete with them? But when you look at them, like having spent, you know. Half, pretty much half my time in Australia, in West Australia, half my time in the other side. Um, the, da- the dark, the dark side. side. You know, 
at the end of the day, CBH offers a particularly good service to growers and, and like a fantastic sort of service. But like I say, it's up to the growers to invest because they want, no. you want dividends or not dividends because they're not allowed to give dividends, but you know, those performance bonuses, whatever they call them. Yeah. It, uh, it's, I, mean, I, I think your softening of approach though, Andrew, towards. That's just, that's, that's just my old age. So I'm getting no, softer. I was just going to say, we've had a few discussions, Andrew and I recently off air about Andrew getting older and becoming a little bit more socialist in his old age with, his, right. with, his, with his ideology. So maybe the CBH model is starting to, you know, align with do you know, your do you know, increasing Scot social Scot views. Scottish people invented the cooperative structure <laughs> of business. So. Uh, and economics and probably and socialism. And socialism. There, there, there's a good economic theory for you economists uh, that we'd understand, you know, that natural monopolies if properly regulated, work. And it, essentially yeah. CBH is a natural monopoly of, even though it is not a monopoly, not a monopoly but... Um, For all intents and purposes. If, and and if, supply if, chain if, logistics, if, yeah. That's right. And it has been incredibly successful. It's worth a lot of money. It's done a brilliant job. Um, and it's only as good as the board that's on it. And they're only as good as the members who, you know, put them there. So... Everyone has to take some of the responsibility. I know everyone's dishing out the blame, um, but they're in catch-up mode. And but I just wonder whether you know it's expensive to move stuff by rail. But with what's coming with um, you know the, the carbon footprint stuff, uh, the importance of being able to capture markets at re in really short windows. And the world's speeding up, and maybe you know, we Australia needs a discussion on how to do this better. But who should pay for that? Should the taxpayer pay for that, no, or should no, the no, growers? You know, the problem with taxpayers paying for stuff is that they I don't want to pay for stuff in Sydney, Melbourne, and Canberra. And so I tell my members who say, "Oh, you know, we need more of everything here." I say, "Well, you're paying." Because you're in the usually in the top 25% of taxpayers, which means you're paying for the other 75% as well. Everything you get, you're paying for four times as much in you know the outer suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne. So, or football stadiums in Tasmania to buy buy votes. <laughs> so, I think we I preferred less government um, and um, pay less tax rather than what more can we get out of government? Because you, you just pay, you will pay for it. Well, also as well, if you if the government pays for it they become a stakeholder in it. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately. And uh, prefer less, yeah, that's right, less government. See, so, so I, would, I, would, uh, I don't know much about taxes because we work for a not-for-profit. <laughs> not not yeah. by not by choice. Well, we work with two ag, ag watches is not for profit and um, EP three non for profit as well apparently because we we give a lot of stuff away for free, Andrew, don't we? And 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 and, and yeah, not for profit, not by chance. <laughs> but but uh, we probably I know we could probably do this for another two hours. I absolutely could. Maybe we'll have to schedule Trevor in for another one just as a bit of a catch up at a later stage. Is that, is that, is that before or after I, I self nominate my pre selection? Well, we'll probably, it'll be part of the, it'll be part of the um, advertising for the new party. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or it'll be, because it'd be too hard to get you into in power because it's always hard to get, I'll some, be, get somebody I'll, off I'll, the, or get somebody off the yeah. throne. I'll, I'll, I'll be like Murray Watt. Murray Watt trying to get Murray Watt to come over to Catanning uh, to, to talk to farmers. Or, or, just, uh, or, or, or trying to get him to come onto the podcast. Well, he's very busy. He's very busy. So that's probably why he's not come yet to WA nor come on the podcast, Agwatch's podcast. Well, but I'm sure I'm sure he'll make time sooner or later. Sooner I'm or later. sure he will. Quick, quick question for you, Trevor. This yeah. big event this weekend, the, uh, the coronation. You're going to be watching it? Oh, I see. I didn't get a. I didn't get an invite. Amazing. You've seen the list of people that got invites. Um, <laughs> as a good Scottish lad, I'm sure you. Oh, you've got uh, your ticket. He's, no, he's got, got his own. He's got his own crown. He's going to sit there and watch it. I'll be watching. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to take the TV out in the back garden and just. Watch so you can sit there. on. There's a big. There's a big rock in his backyard. That he's called the Scone of, of Destiny. Destiny. <laughs> uh, I, 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 um. I love the monarchy because it, I, I I see it like the Americans wish they had a monarchy. So that's why they have to have Hollywood because it's the greatest marketing tourism thing for the UK. Uh, it's, that that, it's that and Harry Potter. TV that, that never ends. It's entertaining. Um, and uh, politically, it's better than having an elected president. So it's a, uh, bit, it's a bit like having living history, I think. It is. It is brilliant. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not opposed, I'm not opposed to it. 
I don't no, you couldn't get a better, you couldn't script uh, or cast a better set of characters to actually play the various roles. Um, I think it's vastly entertaining. I don't know why. Why, why would you want to get rid of it? Mm. I look forward to the new King coming out. Um, and uh, with ban, ban, ban in all chemicals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a bit of a. Well, he, he, he might, he might be in favour of live export though. He's, you know, he's, he's a. You never know. Has he got? He's a fan. He's a fan of the. He's a fan of the wool industry. Does he's Charles run farms? Industry. Charles, bloody, he's going to be the biggest yeah, land landowner in the world. They, they, they are. They are. Yeah. The, well, the, yeah, they are. He is the biggest landowner in the world in terms of acreage. Absolutely. They, so, but he's. You know, hey, do you know who number four is? Gina. Yeah, Gina Reinhardt. I think in the top ten and the biggest landowners in the world, I think four or five of the top ten are Australian people or families. You know, there's a there's a Russian farm privately owned that um, what are they cropping? Nearly a million acres. Yeah. You should look up some of the oligarchs who got big properties over there. Mm. We should get Maybe. one of one. Yeah, we yeah. should. We should. We should. All right. Well, I think we've we have I think exhausted a lot of your time, Trevor, as a busy man that you are. So um, I think we might just this will be part one of an ongoing discussion. Well, we'll get you on. We'll get you on soon to talk about the impact of the voice on agriculture. Oh, I'll tell you about the voice. I've got lots of lots to say about the voice. The voice, but is that, the, yeah, is, that, is, that is, is that still running? That singing show or that... <laughs> the voice? Yeah, you guys do. You guys should be on it. You got your own yeah. voice show. Yeah. Well, I thought with our second voices, we should be on it. Is that the one where the chair is? Yeah, the chair turns around to accept the singer. Yeah. I think our, our version will be everyone watching a sing, listening to a sing, and then they get to turn the chair around to kind of turn just, the music you, off. You've just you've just given me an idea for the WA Farmers Conference for next year. In fact, we just organised the date. End of July is put in your diary, guys. End of July, So so we're going to have to come up with some actual. Songs yeah, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna do the the chair, the voice singing. Is that, is, so, so is that this July or next July? No, no, no. Sorry, next. No, sorry. Mm. End of June, last Friday, June next year. Put it in your diary. We'll see you. Mm. Mm. I've actually got a good idea for the uh, the, uh, the next conference we do. So I'll run it by you next, close to the time. Oh, yes, I know you turn to talk about. Yeah, but uh, we won't say that. We don't want to lick up all that secrets. Our secrets. No, no. Yeah. Somebody, somebody no. will steal them. Yeah, that's it. That's right, it. Right, Trevor. All right, guys. Thank Thanks for coming much. along. Have a good right, weekend. Mate. Enjoy the coronation. God save Trevor, the king. I will do. Good on you. See, ya. See you. Bye. See you when you've got nothing on, Trevor. Bye. Indeed. Okay. Bye.